0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You'll want to turn to John chapter 2 and then we're going to look at Isaiah 56. If you have your UVersion apps, you can go there. Uh, so online, if you want to go to the UVersion app, just uh, click that as well. All the notes that you'll need could be there. If you look at your worship guide, you're going to notice there are two, two pages for notes, uh, just if you want, if you need them. Um, they're mostly two pages for notes because I didn't have anything else to put on the other page. Um, so, you know, we just made it look like we did it on purpose, which really kind of defeats the purpose me telling you that. But, you know, what do you do? All right, so John chapter 2. So remember, we're moving on in our, in our series, this idea of headline living. And taking into account how headlines work and the clickbait and the way they lead us into a story that sometimes isn't the story they're promoting at all. So today we turn our attention toward the second sign in John's gospel. And I want to remind you that every time Jesus is in Galilee, a miracle happens or something profound happens. And John calls these miracles or these acts are these extraordinarily disruptive moments. He calls them signs. He calls them signs because they're works of God, and they're meant to point us to something. So they're not just miracles. They're not just something to go, ooh, that was awesome. They're meant to point us to something else, to see deeper behind what's taking place. Today's story seems to indicate that there are more than one sign given in this second sign, that there are maybe little signs captured in this big sign. So John chapter 2, verse 13. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered what is written. This is from Isaiah 56. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. They believed Jesus. Hold on to that. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs he was doing, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's the word. So you can almost see the headline, right? Jesus says the temple will be destroyed and that he'll rebuild it in three days. That's a pretty tame headline. You might even read a headline, Jesus loses it in the temple. Or maybe the headline that would serve more as the clickbait that would steer public opinion would be Jesus shuts down small business owners. So what's really happening here? Well, look at the context. The temple had set up a kind of merchant square, a, a business center, so that those traveling many days and many miles wouldn't have to carry their animal sacrifices in tow. They they could just purchase them there. Some would even bring their sacrificial offerings with them and then they would have to get them inspected by the priest and if they met the inspection by the priest then they would be allowed to offer that to God. If they didn't meet the inspection by the priest, let's say something happened to the animal in the miles and days of of journey, then they would be able to purchase a new one rather than to be stuck with none at all. See, greedy, greedy hearts and greed itself is a terrible and subtle friend. Selling offerings to those in need of one so they could present it to God as their act of worship had turned into big business. Not only did the merchants make money, but the priests, the priests got a little off the top as their fee as well. See, the temple had turned into a financial enterprise. and Those who were selling sacrificial offerings for temple worship were creating these unnecessary hindrances for people to come and make their offerings of worship to God. And unless you had money, or unless your offerings met some kind of standard set by the priest, who we mentioned were to set for a profit in this endeavor, you could not worship. So what if you're poor? Poor. Like, what if you weren't poor, though, and you had the proper sacrifice, but it didn't meet these man-made, profit-driven specifications? What, what if you had to travel hundreds of miles, and many did, and you couldn't carry the necessary sacrifice, and so you relied on a fair market price when you got to the temple? See, so what was happening is profit was placed over people. Making money had become more important than making it possible for people To worship God. And when Jesus sees this happening, Jesus is filled with a righteous love. A love committed to setting wrong things right. So he makes a whip out of cords, right? He pops it, scatters the cattle. John wants us to make sure that we know that he scattered the cattle, which are representative of profit. And he turns over the merchants' tables. And then he takes their purses and their boxes or whatever they have, and he dumps it out. And he drives out the businessmen. The profiteers of greedy business. These merchants. And what's interesting is that Jesus isn't going to wait for an invitation to do this. Jesus doesn't wait. He doesn't ask permission. Jesus isn't waiting for the right timing. When Jesus sees an injustice, Jesus acts. People will not be second place to profit in the temple. And greed will no longer turn God's house of prayer for all nations, meaning for all people, into what one account calls the den of robbers. The tables of profiteering that stood in the way of God's people coming to worship, especially the poor and the marginalized, were have, they had to be turned over. See, these tables, these tables in this story represent Injustice, because they stand in the way of people coming into God's presence. They stand in the way of people being able to experience God's love and wholeness. Now, injustice can be defined in a lot of ways. The way I would like to lay it out this morning in light of the text is that injustice is anything that's unfair, unrighteous, or demeans people's God-given dignity and worth. Injustice keeps people from experiencing a wholeness. Injustice always promotes sin and conspires with death. Injustice isn't just not getting your way. Injustice is something that happens that demeans the human dignity and worth of another and gets in the way of wholeness and conspires with the death-dealing things. What's sad about this story is that these religious and political leaders had allowed this injustice to take place. And and, and we don't exactly know why. I mean, maybe it was subtle. Maybe they didn't realize it was happening. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was motivated by greed or some sort of power grab. Either way, whether it was purposeful or accidental, the outcome is the same. The merchants' tables were getting in the way of people coming closer to God, and for that there would be consequences, and Jesus wasn't going to have it. So he turned over tables and he cleared the way for people to draw closer to God. And John wants us to know that this sign, this act, was turning the disciples' minds toward the scripture that probably God wanted them to think of, which is Isaiah 56. Which is where we get it in verse 17. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now you have to remember that these Faithful worshipers of God would know their Bibles pretty well. So when this verse came to mind, they would know the context of this verse. They would know that this is a promise that God made through the prophet Isaiah that was pointing to a moment that they could be experiencing. And it's Isaiah 56. And this is what it says in verse 1. Please receive this word. Verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Preserve justice and do what is right. My salvation is coming soon and my justice will be revealed. Happy is the man who does this, anyone who maintains this, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. No foreigner who was converted to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. No eunuch Should ever say, Look, I'm worthless, a dried up tree. For the Lord says this For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house. That's the temple. I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Can you imagine hearing that? Better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. That spoke to a eunuch. And the foreigners who convert to the Lord, minister to Him, love the Lord's name, and are His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel, I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. This is a beautiful text. That is a beautiful promise. This is the Lord saying that foreigners, eunuchs, and the broken people that have long been excluded from having a place in the presence of God could find a home, could belong to God. See, beloved, when Jesus turns over the tables of injustice, He's clearing the way for the least, the last, the left out, the lonely, the marginalized, the ignored, the undervalued, the broken, and those deemed unclean. Anyone can have a place before God. Anyone can bring an offering to God. Anyone can know him and experience him. They didn't have to get right or clean up before they came to him. They didn't have to meet some sort of prerequisite found in scripture before they could find the welcome of God. They just needed to want to. And what was happening with these tables is it was getting in the way. It was getting in the way of people being able just to come. If I couldn't afford it, I couldn't come. If I didn't have the right offering, I couldn't come. If I had to travel too far and I didn't have what I needed, I couldn't come. And Jesus turns it over. The religious and political elite had forgotten the most basic thing of all. In trying to keep people out of the presence of God, they had forgotten that the one thing, the one thing the one place where we can find wholeness is with the presence of God. One cannot find wholeness and healing without the presence of God. Now, there's a lesson for the church here we can't be gatekeepers of the table. We can't push people away from God because they don't meet some sort of prerequisite. Even if it's mentioned in the Bible, I want to be clear with you. These these eunuchs, these foreigners, there were scriptures. There were biblical interpretations that they were applying that was keeping these folks out of the temple. They were reading their Bibles what seemed to be correct, but they were reading it all wrong. Because the one place that a person could find wholeness and healing is the one place that the religious were keeping people from coming. And that's a tragedy in our society. It's a tragedy in our world. When the church wants to play the gatekeepers to the kingdom of God. The one place where we can find wholeness is sometimes the one place that we as Christians keep people from coming because they don't meet the standard. Jesus will turn over that table too. See, what John wants to remind us of is that all of this that's happening is a guarantee. If you look at the story, look at the story. Jesus anchors this entire act in his resurrection. John reminds us that this promise, the reality of what we see unfolding in the tables of injustice being turned over will be sealed by the resurrection of Jesus because death, death is that final table of injustice. Death is that one table that gets built in all of our lives. That one table that we trip into when someone we love passes too soon. It's that one table that threatens That threatens our trust in the God who knows us and loves us and can heal us and make us whole. And I think there's a reason Jesus anchors this in resurrection. Because see, death, that table of injustice that's built by the reign of sin and death, that table will be turned over once and for all. It'll still exist. I mean, we know that all too well. We lost Collins this week. We lost Chuck a couple of weeks ago. It's been a long seven months. Many of us have experienced losses beyond even those things. I'm just talking about this church. I'm not talking about all the other losses. We've all experienced the, the, the ticker of losses we see in the world. Death still exists. But if we're reading this story right, it doesn't have a lasting effect on anyone who comes to Jesus. Death will no longer have the power to hold God's people captive. Death and the fear that it brings no longer has the final word. As I was reading this text, as I was thinking about it in light of everything going on over the last few weeks, as I was thinking about these Jewish worshipers who would become Jewish Christians and how they would receive a book called Hebrews, and they would probably know this story well that's happening in John, my mind went back to this text in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says that now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. Come on, are you with me? Through his death, he might destroy the power, the one of the, who holds the power of death, the devil. And it says the devil, that's what it literally says. It says that is the devil. The devil holds the power of death. And then it says, verse 15, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. By the fear of death. Collins and I used to say as he was getting sicker and sicker and he knew the end was drawing near, that it was really the beginning. And our favorite phrase would be like, man, I'm going to catch you at some point. You're just changing neighborhoods. Jesus is anchoring this whole discourse about the temple being destroyed and raised up in three days in his bodily resurrection. And obviously, the religious and political elite can't comprehend it, but John doesn't want us to miss it. Now, whether others get everything Jesus is saying, I don't know, but look at verse 23. One of the things we do know is that some who witnessed all of this believed in his name. When it says believed in his name, it doesn't mean that they believed in Jesus. It means they believed Jesus. You see, there's a difference. We can believe in Jesus and not believe him. It's about believing Him. See, here's the one thing that I think applies outside of sort of the social context of this and the idea of the tables of injustice in a social reality. The social injustices. There's another way I think this applies. See, I think God wants us to know that the Lord is still turning over tables. Except now... Jesus turns over tables in what the new Testament calls his new temple, that is the lives of God's people. We are the temple of God now. And the Lord knows that in our lives, tables of injustice have been built and are standing in the way of us coming closer to God. See, some of the things have just happened to us. There are betrayals and shames and guilt. There are hurts and harms that have happened to us. Even sometimes inflicted by the church, right? Like there's, there's abuse. There are the things that have happened to us. And those things that have happened to us have built tables in our lives that keep us from fully trusting God, that keep us from coming into the presence of God. Not because God is unwilling, but because those tables are just so big. and They're just so heavy. And they just stand in the way, they, they, they muddle up our vision. We can't see clearly, we can't, we can't even see how it's possible. And we can't get around it, and we can't climb over it, and we can't go under it, and we can't go through it, so we just, we just don't go. Or maybe we do go, maybe we keep coming to church, maybe we do keep showing up, And there may be different reasons for that. Maybe because there's something deep inside of us that we hold on to. Maybe Maybe it's an old school fear of going to hell. I don't know. But we keep showing up. And what I believe this story is trying to tell us is that Jesus is going to turn those tables over too. He wants to turn those tables over. He doesn't want anything standing in between Him and His people. No matter who built it. Even if it's a table I built on my own from my own choices, one nail at a time, Jesus wants to turn that table over too. See, sometimes we just grow used to having the tables there. Like the table's manageable, we know what we've got with the table. We know what we've got to the degree that we're willing to walk to the closest proximity to God. Like, that, that's as far as I can go, and I'm comfortable there, God. I'm comfortable right here. What I believe is true about this story is that Jesus is turning over tables, and He wants to turn them over too. He doesn't want us to hold on to them no matter how familiar they are. He wants to flip them. See, the good news is that Jesus loves us with a righteous love, and if we will surrender, his love is powerful enough to transform, heal, and restore. We have to be willing to let him turn over the table. Now, I don't know what that looks like exactly, right? Like, it's easy for me to say this, and you'd be like, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means for you. But I believe Jesus is willing to turn over a table if we keep showing up. If we just keep showing up. Everybody say, keep showing up. He just keep showing up. And here's the thing. He's not going to ask for permission. When Jesus turns over the table, he's not going to ask for permission. He's not going to wait for the right timing, whatever the right timing is for us. There are times Jesus isn't going to say, okay, are you ready? I don't think he's going to always do that. Sometimes a word's going to come to you, and it's going to hit hard, and it's going to flip that table, and the way is going to be cleared. And then we have to decide, will we run to God or will we run away? Will we run in like those who were not allowed in the temple or will we run out like the money changers? Sometimes it's going to come in a song. Sometimes it's going to come in a sunrise. Sometimes it's going to come in a loss. Sometimes it'll come in a gain. I don't know when it'll come. I don't even know how it'll come. But if I'm reading this story right, I know it will come. You just have to keep showing up. And the question for me then is, will I believe Jesus when it does? Like, will I believe him, that He has my best in mind? That He has my good in mind? Listen, beloved. If the worst thing the world has to offer Christians. The worst thing is death. What has the scripture said about that? What has the resurrection done with that? It's overcome it. We don't have to be held captive to that fear. So if that's the worst life can offer a believer, then from what should we be afraid? We have no business fearing a future that God already inhabits. For what then should we be afraid? Let Jesus turn over the table. Painful? Maybe. Healing? Oh, definitely. Jesus will not just sit by idly and let those who come to God or want to come to God not come fully to God. And that is the good news. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.